We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio, Simul Radio and Simul TV. Now, if you'd like to find out about the programming we have available for you 24 7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And for our broadcast schedule on the Exxon TV channel, which is channel 21 on Simul TV, visit www.simultv.com. Exonation, my guest this hour is Karen Fraser, and uh, Karen writes spiritual, metaphysical, paranormal, and vibrational healing books, articles, and blogs that explore topics such as dream interpretations, reincarnation, life between lives, life after death, energy healing, crystals, ghosts, psychic phenomenon, and the survival of consciousness after death. She is also a columnist for Paranormal Underground magazine, writing a monthly metaphysical column and a dream and symbols column. Additionally, Karen writes cookbooks, nutrition, and reference books, uh, and offers energy healing sessions and classes. Her website is authorkarenfraser.com, and Author Karen Fraser, welcome to the Exxon. Thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, and, and what was it that happened in the life of Karen Fraser that put her onto this path into the metaphysical yeah, it's a it's it's always an interesting question, isn't mm-hmm. it? So for me, I actually was raised in a very kind of a traditional religious background, right? Um, but I had a father who was a very questioning person, and so while he attended church and and made sure that my sisters and I attended church, he also was always kind of looking for things and questioning things. Right. And when I was about fifteen, he handed me a book by Raymond Moody, and that was the start. Of wow. All of it. it. The the life. Uh, I can't even think of what the name is. It life after life. I think I Raymond so, Moody's yeah. first book. And since then, the rest is history. Uh, the rest is well, kind of. I spent a long time mm-hmm. really um, struggling with what I considered were fringe beliefs. I come from a my my education is is more of concrete scientific things but I always had this other side to me mm-hmm. and I just kind of always thought that it was like a fringe fun interest as opposed to anything legit and um, then when I was uh, fresh out of college my first apartment out of college I actually lived in a haunted apartment Ooh. and it started to shift then what I what I kind of always had known I believed mm-hmm. but was denying I believed uh, tell us about your first haunted apartment that must have been uh, <laughs> a rather 
exciting experience, if I can use that? It was actually former military housing yeah. in Bremerton, Washington, mm-hmm. uh, which has a lot. It's a Navy town um, in Washington State. And so these were just little old. I think they had been like officers housing or something. And mm-hmm. I was actually married to somebody who was in the Navy. And he was a submariner. So he would go out to sea for three months. And we were just brand new, right. newly married, like fresh out of college married. And he went out to sea almost immediately upon moving into this apartment. And so I was there alone a lot, and mm-hmm. I just really weird things happen. Um, a lot of poltergeist-type activity, like doors would open and close on their own. I would be laying in bed, and I would hear the sink actually go, and the water would Ooh. start to run in the sink. And then I would hear, and it would, it would turn off. And I would hear footsteps walking across from the front door into my bedroom. It was a tiny little apartment. Mm-hmm. And um, I would hear footsteps that would kind of walk, walk, walk. And I'd feel somebody sit down on the bed next to me, and I'd actually feel like their breath on my cheek. Oh, now now you're starting to freak me out now. Now you're starting to freak me out. I know, and they would lean over, and they would whisper in my ear, I love you. It still gives me chills today. I mean, and I've done, you know, anything paranormal almost you can think of, and that story still freaks me out. (laughs) Um, Did you ever find out, who was whispering sweet nothings in your ear? I guess you can say sweet nothings because it was you couldn't see anybody. So there's the real expression in the uh, sweet nothings. Did you ever find out who it was? Yeah. No, I never did. Um, when my husband came home, um, well, uh-huh. there was an event that finally, finally just sent me off of the edge. We, I went to work and I came home and my husband was still out at sea and the house right. had been all locked up. And I walked in the front door and we had this six foot inflatable Godzilla because we were Twenty-two, yeah, and it was sitting. It usually sat in the corner of my living room. It was sitting in the middle of my bed. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so you've got this. Well, you've, got, you've you've got this spirit who is madly in love with you and likes playing with your toys. I guess okay. It was it was, it was really really strange, and I would actually. Um, I don't live in Bremerton anymore. I moved away many years ago. I don't blame you. Um, but I would I, I would actually love to go visit that specific apartment now, knowing what I know now, and see what I could find out. Why don't you? Um, mainly because if there are young people like me yeah. living there, like I was uh-huh. living there, and they don't know anything about it, I don't want to terrify them. Oh, come on. Sounds like... Well, I know. You know, knock Maybe on the door, knock, 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 and say, you're not going to believe this, but is your house haunted? <laughs> Have you had anything strange happen to you? Does Does somebody yeah. or something whisper in your, I love you? Yeah, maybe I will, because, I mean, at some point, yeah. I, I, I might. I live about... I live about an hour and a half away from there now, and, and I kind of am up through the area maybe about mm-hmm. once a year, and I always think about it when I drive by. Wouldn't it be interesting if after you left that there has never been a trace of a ghost or a haunting since? Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I don't know. We got out of there pretty yeah. darn quick. We got out of there as soon as we could. I'll bet you that was the fastest you ever packed in your life. Well, yeah, I, I was ready to go before my husband came home, and he would only be out to sea for about 90 days. So this was all over yeah. a period of about three months. What did your husband say about all the going-ons? Well, he was a Navy nuke. 
Yeah. Um, so nuclear engineering. And so he just kind of rolled his eyes at me and thought that I was possibly being over imaginative because I was living in a place alone for the first time, you know, cause I'd always either lived with my parents or right. a roommate. Yeah. But, uh, does he believe you now with all the work you're doing in the paranormal, the writing that you do and has had different husband. Oh, different. So. Oh, geez. I'm sorry. I, I naturally assumed <laughs> that it was the same one. So my apologies. No. So let me ask you no, this. But it's really, it's really funny because yeah. my current husband is right. also is a former Navy nuke. So uh, I like the smart engineering geeky types. Because oh, come I actually, on. Let's, let's face, woo, let's face, let's <laughs> face it. You like the uniform. <laughs> Aha! He doesn't wear the. He can't fit in the uniform anymore. I'm almost certain of it. Oh my goodness! Um, but he, I, you know, I have always liked those very analytical kind of geeky. That's and so my mm-hmm. my husband is that way, and he kind of rolled his eyes at me in the beginning um, when we've been together 18 years. My gosh. And in the beginning, he kind of rolled his eyes, but uh-huh. oh no, he's had experiences now, and he's I, he believes me. What kind of experiences? And now, now, have you had these experiences together? Yes. So, um, well, first of all, I'm sitting up in the haunted room of our house right now, which is my son's former bedroom. And it's now, it's my um, energy healing studio that I work with clients in. Um, And so this has always been the haunted room. Uh And we've had all sorts of things happen up here. Be sitting downstairs when my son was at school or whatever and hear his desk chair roll across the floor. Mm Mm-hmm. And yell, knock it off, and hear it stop. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Just little little things like that. And then I have a lot of, uh-huh. you're probably shocked to hear this, I have a lot of psychic friends. And a lot of them have come in and uh-huh. said, you know, you've got somebody living upstairs in that room, don't you? And I just, yeah. I mean, you know. They're here. It's fine. Uh, we've got to take a commercial break, uh, but uh, I, I, I must say that you certainly have a knack for picking haunted locations, don't you? I do. All right, you and I will return on the other side of this message. And explanation, our guest this hour is Karen Fraser, and she is an author. Her website is authorkarenfraser.com. And Karen and I will return on the other side of this very short break as we continue talking about the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology right here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. And for the latest edition of the X Chronicles newspaper that you can read with our compliments, we've been publishing it since uh, 1990, January 1990. Each and every month, you can go to www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. We'll be back on the other side talking more about ghost hauntings and energy healing here in the X Zone. Don't go away. that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
Exonation, Karen Fraser is our special guest, and um, we're talking to Karen about, oh my gosh, so many things, uh, spirituality, metaphysical, uh, the world, uh, paranormal, and much more. Her website, authorkarenfraser.com. So Karen, how did you end up leaving one haunted house, ending up in another haunted location, and is it possible that you brought the spirit or the ghost with you? Well, nobody, I mean, I haven't had a ghost tell me, you know, he's loved me in almost like 30 years. Oh, so really? Oh, okay. I, I, isn't that a bummer? Well, um, not really. So, My wife no. hasn't told me she loves me after 30 years either, so I can understand that. <laughs> Just, maybe he's tired of me. <laughs> so I think that what happened mm-hmm. is, or I think that I, I think that I was drawn to these places for a reason. Right. And I believe that because what the ghost thing did was it opened up this whole path to things that I'd wanted to believe my entire life, mm. but just really couldn't work it out how I could and not be a total kook. Um, I mean, and now I just don't care if I'm a total kook or not because I've had all of these experiences and it's led to all of these things that are very important to me that I think are making the world a better place, like the energy healing mm-hmm. and the classes that I teach and all of right. that. So tell me about the energy healing. How does that work? Sure. Well, so I actually deal with all different kinds of energy healing, mm-hmm. and um, everything in the universe is vibration. Right. And so your vibration, I'm vibration, the chair I'm sitting in is vibration, and it's little tiny strands of vibrating energy surrounded by vast amounts of space. Mm-hmm. Everything that looks solid um, is actually quite empty. There's just little, it's all held together with force fields, but there's all this empty space in everything. And so if we're vibrating energy and everything else is vibrating energy, mm-hmm. then when you put energy into things through thoughts, uh, words, and action, then you can change the vibration of something and bring about healing. And so I work in multiple modalities. I like, um, I kind of dig in sound healing a lot right now. I'm using like singing bowls and things like that. I'm a Reiki master teacher. I have written several books about crystals. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these are just different ways to raise vibration. All right. Take us, uh, tell us about Reiki because everybody hears about Reiki and people that are Reiki masters, but what is the principle behind Reiki? How does it work? Well, Reiki is just universal energy, and Mm -hmm. just like any other form of energy healing, Reiki, we channel universal energy through us, through our hands, and the person, I'm actually not doing anything. I'm putting my hands on on my healing partner, and the healing partner is drawing that energy into them. They are choosing to do that because they're vibrationally ready for for something to change. So Reiki um, is Japanese. Mm Mm-hmm as you can probably guess from the name. It's been around for centuries, although in the West it's actually relatively recent, like the last hundred years or so. Everybody who has practices Reiki in the West, at least the form that I do, the Usui Rioho Reiki, they do it, um, it it's all gone through, can be traced through one woman in Hawaii named um, Hawaii Takata, who was tuned by a Reiki master in Japan, um, Mikai Usui. So I, I, that's a lot. I know that doesn't really matter to most people. But so it's it's passed down through this lineage mm-hmm. um, that can be traced to one person, and it's prolific, 
proliferated in the West. And basically, anybody can become attuned to Reiki. You just need to have a Reiki master teach you the principles and attune you to the attune you to the energy. And then for the rest of your life, you can channel Reiki life force energy. And it's up to the people that you work with whether they choose to draw that in or not. And if they're here to see me for a Reiki session or if they ask me for a Reiki session across distance, mm-hmm. then that is it's their intention then to have healing. And so basically um, there's a principle called entrainment in energy healing. It's actually it's a physics principle. There's, um, there was a guy who was a Dutch guy. His name was Kristen Huygens. Um, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong because there's like two U's and an N and right. several Y's. And um, But he discovered back in like the 1600s that he put two pendulum clocks side by side on the wall. And they started out ticking at different rates. Mm-hmm. So the pendulums weren't swinging together. And as they spent time together on that wall, within a few minutes, they were swinging together. And that's called entrainment. Basically, when two objects different frequencies are placed in proximity to one another, they kind of meet in the middle and adjust their frequency so they vibrate together. And that is the basis behind all energy healing. When you place some someone in proximity to something that has a higher vibration, mm-hmm. the two meet in the middle and the vibration of one raises, the vibration of the other lowers. Wow. I can understand that if you're working with someone at your at your healing room. But how does that work long distance? You're not able to touch the person, so how do you channel the energy, and how do you, how does that work? Well, I guess, um, so I don't believe, I, I believe that space and time are constructs that we have that are part of an illusion that we live in. Oh, hold on here, hold on here, hold on here. All right, so you're saying that this is not a reality that we're living in, it's an illusion? I think we live in the matrix. Okay, so how can yeah. I be talking to you then if this is an illusion? Well, because we have all agreed to buy into this illusion when we came to be incarnated in the human body, when our spirits came to be incarnated in the human body. We okay. all agreed to buy into the illusion so that we can have certain experiences and experience ourselves in certain ways so that we can know ourselves. Because if all we ever live in is in, the, is in this kind of space of love and joy and peace and floatiness and all of that, how do we ever understand and appreciate that unless we allow ourselves into the experience of relativity and the full spectrum you know, of... That, that's, that's a wonderful thought, but how do we prove it? <laughs> well, gosh... If I knew that, I would have it. I would have at least another book, huh? Yeah, but 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 my my question is is that you know it's a wonderful uh, painting picture that you you just gave us, and I think everybody mm-hmm. would love to live in in utopia. But how do we uh-huh. know that this is a a false reality that we're living in? That we signed a contract or we knew what we were getting into? That we actually left a utopian civilization or? lifestyle to come here and be battered around on earth that how do we know that well i don't know that we can know for sure but there are certain things people have experienced it in meditation Mm -hmm. Um, people have experienced it in astral projection and astral travel and then also there's there's a form of uh, regression hypnotherapy called life between lives hypnotherapy Uh um 
that has allowed people to to understand and have that experience where mm-hmm. many many people in various cultures and um, very far removed from one another have followed the hypnosis protocol and had very similar experiences and so that's not proof mm-hmm. um, as far as you know it, it's not scientific proof right. but it's certainly a body of evidence that that makes you makes you think that it could be a possibly possibility. I believe that there is a preponderance of the evidence when you look at uh, reincarnation research, mm-hmm. when you look at life between lives research, when you hear people's stories of astral travel and meditation. There is a preponderance of the evidence that at least suggests that that may be something that's true. But saying there's a preponderance of evidence and then using the word suggest, that makes no sense. Because you're saying you have fact and then you hypothesize. So you're saying preponderance of evidence is fact. You're right. It's 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 a hypothesis. Yeah. Um, and and not even, yeah, it's a hypothesis. Is exactly what it is. And I mean, you know, we're not going to know until we go. Um, but there's just this whole body of work out mm-hmm. there, and that even includes things like um, people who have channeled information and and all of that. And look, the world's full of big fakers. I get that. And um, People can be big fakers, and mm. people want attention, sure. and people want. Uh, um, but I, I have had experiences in meditation and in um, life between lives right. regression, where I've seen these things as well. So for me, it's clear. I, I never claim it's scientific. It is a belief system. Okay, for me, there, absolutely, one hundred percent a belief system. So if you believe it, you mm-hmm. need in order for it to happen and in order for it to manifest itself for whatever the re, uh, you know the uh, the alternate reality is you must believe that it does exist or else it's not going to manifest itself I think that intention plays a huge role yeah. when I teach my classes uh-huh. and in in most of my energy healing books I say look intention is everything and I'm not going to know until I die um, what happens But what happens if you're wrong well, at least I enjoyed myself while I was here trying to figure it out. Gotcha. I mean, the way I figure is that there's there's a couple possibilities. One is that I'm just going to be gone. I'm going to be mm-hmm. taking a dirt nap and my consciousness is gone. Yep. And so if I was wrong, who cares? That's true. But you and I have to take a commercial break with the news because my producer does care. And we'll be back <laughs> as we continue here in the X-Zone with our guest this hour, X-Zone Nation, Karen Fraser. Her website is www.authorkarenfraser.com. And we'll both be back as we continue here in our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, you can always send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com, and check out our main website at www.exxonradiotv.com. friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. 
Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Explanation. My guest this hour is Karen Fraser. Now, uh, Karen writes spiritual, metaphysical, paranormal, and vibrational healing books, articles, and blogs, and explores topics such as dream interpretations, reincarnation, life between lives, and life after death, energy healing, crystals, ghosts, psychic phenomenon, and the survival of consciousness after death. Her website is authorkarenfraser.com. Um... Why is it that the new age and and I'm not and I'm just calling what you and other people who do Reiki and talk about crystals and uh, you know vibrational uh, experiences and reincarnation life between life and so on and so forth? Why is the new age such a uh, such a talked about topic these days? Boy, that's a question, isn't it? You know, so if you look backwards through mm-hmm. history, there are kind of cycles of up and down where these things happen, like there was spiritualism Mm -hmm. around the turn of the century, the the century before this one. And then we sort of, I would say probably, um, I mean, look, I'm an old uh, spiritual show person from years back. I used to like to watch like Unsolved Mysteries and Sightings and all of that stuff. But I really think that that Ghost Hunters uh, ushered in people who were super interested in this stuff. And um, I think that for some people, I think that, look, we live in a really divided world. Um, mm-hmm. And in, especially here in the United States, you know, everything is, everybody's mad at everybody about everything. And if you're not with us, you're against us. Yep. And I think that new age topics, and I, I don't object to the, the label new age. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to call it something, right? Yep. Um, I think that new age topics, give people a place of focus and a place of hope. And I also think that death is kind of the last great unknown. Mm-hmm. And we're all, it's going to happen to all of us. Sure, yeah, that's the only and, thing that you're sure of about life, because the moment you're conceived is the moment you start to die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, it's and a stark I think reality. people are aware of that. Yeah. And I think people are afraid of that. And I think that, that these ideas and thoughts uh-huh. um, are very helpful. And then I also think that you see... A shift in um, in how like psychotherapy and things mm-hmm. like there's cognitive behavior therapy, which is a lot of having a thought and changing the way you think. Yeah. Um, and I think that you see, there's a shift in those practices as well that somewhat aligns with with an interest in these new age topics. Plus, crystals are just super cool and pretty. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Does does the new age uh, is the new age a placebo effect for people who are having a hard time with reality in this very fast world of ours? Probably, I think in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that it, whatever it takes, you know, whatever it takes to make it, I think that it's okay to 
to have something that's a placebo. Look, placebos have very important uses in medicine, even. Oh, sure they do. Um, because if I think I'm okay, yeah, then I'm going to be okay. But but what about the fact that what the New Age proponents are are talking about and teaching, and and what happens if they're wrong? This is my big concern. Well, you know, because no, I get it. What what happens if Christianity is wrong? What happens if Judaism is wrong? Well, I, what I, happens I, I, if Islam see, so are is you wrong? saying are you I mean, are you putting the New Age genre in the same uh, classification as a religious philosophy? It's all supernatural, isn't it? Oh, I, 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 I really, it's all belief in something that it's all belief in something that's ineffable that we can't explain, we can't see. Yeah, but not everybody, not everybody rewrites the Bible like all these new books that are coming out from the New Age groups. No yeah, one, that's true. you know, everybody's got their own idea. Everybody's got their own way of looking at things. You know, the Bible doesn't mm -hmm. change. The Torah, the Torah doesn't change. So I really don't think we can even. Well, I, I would argue that the Bible has probably changed incredibly vastly um, because the Bible was decided on by a group of humans and a mm -hmm. group of men at the Nicene Council. And it should and have been, decided. yeah. Yeah, so, so, you know, the Bible, and, and I believe that there are truths in the Bible. Look, sure. I was raised Christian. Um, I believe in God. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily the personal dad God, you know, the guy in Rome. Why not? But I believe... I believe in the God of Einstein, oh, which is yeah. the the force that unites everything so, in the universe. That's so may the, the God force, that I may the force be with you, huh? <laughs> That's right. I well, I never looked at it that way, but yeah, I, I mean, I believe in you know, I believe that there is a unifying force. I believe that the mm -hmm. universe there is some form of, and I hate to use this word because it's. Um, or this term, because I feel like it's been co-opted, but I do believe that there's some level of intelligent design in the way that everything has come together in the universe. Uh, you I know, agree, there's yeah. just things that are super cool, like mm -hmm. Fibonacci spirals and, and um, you know, prime numbers and, mm -hmm. and all of those things that are very interesting and look like it, was, it came together because of intelligent design of some kind. Tell me about where crystals play in the New Age uh, genre. Okay, well, so for me, first of all, crystals, mm -hmm. I am a total geology wonk. I love geology. I, lo I, I love, like, all of the scientific aspects of right. rocks. I always have. I collected rocks when I was a kid. So crystals are um, very popular right now, which is crazy popular right now. My son was saying that somebody was teaching crystal classes on his college campus. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think crystals have always been kind of considered fringe and kooky until the last several years. And again, crystals are just a vibrational thing. Crystals have a certain vibration within them, and different crystals have different vibrations because the earth vibrates. Crystals come from the earth. Uh -huh. And um, so when you put a crystal near something that's vibrating at a lower vibration, the, your vi the vibration of whatever you put them near changes. And it meets the crystals in the middle. And, and so for me, it's just that simple. It's, it's still just a matter of vibration. But also they're super cool and they're really pretty, and I like to have them around because I like to look at them. Okay, so how would they be used within the New Age uh, world? Well, they're used in a lot of ways. Um, mm -hmm. 
So I, that's actually the subject of my next book that I have coming out called Crystal Alchemist that is talks about the various uses for crystals. People wear crystals um, in order to perhaps set an intention or to change their frequency or vibration. People place crystals in their spaces, either in grids, which are just a, a ge- geometric arrangements of mm-hmm. crystals, of various crystals, um, around where they live in hopes of raising the vibration of the places they, where they live and work and play. Um, you know, you can buy soap with crystals in it now if you want to wash yourself with them. So you can you can use them in any way. And essentially, look, for some people, they're just a reminder. I have a crystal I wear around my neck. I look at it, and it reminds me that I want to speak my truth. And so it can just be a simple reminder of an intention, or it can okay. be a vibration that works within my vibration and, and helps me choose something different. It just helps you make a, make yourself a better person. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk, if we, if we can, about um, survival of consciousness after death. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell me about it. <laughs> well, so I've spent um, years thinking about this since that first Raymond Moody book, and I've mm-hmm. actually interviewed Dr. Moody a few times um, when I was doing a radio show as well. And um, what a lovely man he is, by the way. And he just, because he sort of interested me in everything, mm-hmm. he was kind of like, you know, this is the guy I want to talk to. And um, so he, you know, he was the one who really first got me thinking about survival of consciousness about death. Because when I was uh, younger, when I was in my early teens, I was the, the kid in Sunday school that the Sunday school teacher didn't like very much because I always had questions. And the questions weren't always easy things to answer. Um, you know, how could somebody who's never had sex have a baby? Things like that. I, I would ask those questions and usually just, you know, kind of get shuffled to the side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when I, up until when I read the, the Dr. Moody's book, yeah. I hadn't believed that consciousness survived death. I believed that I probably would be gone and that would be it, and it would be peaceful because I would be—I just—I would be gone. There would right. be nothing left up. Um, but if everything is energy and everything is vibration, mm-hmm. and one of the laws of thermodynamics is that energy can neither be uh, destroyed or it can't be destroyed or created; it just is, and it changes form. Right. So that means that if I'm all energy, which I am, and my energy can neither be created nor destroyed, then when my body dies, Mm -hmm. something still happens to that energy. But how does that energy? How does that energy stay together to form the very? I don't know that it does. Well, then, how is the essence, your essence, maintained within that energy field? I think it's maintained in every single strand of energy. I kind of look at consciousness mm-hmm. as um, the ocean. If I dip a cup of water in the ocean, yeah. that cup of water now has an identity as a cup of water, right? Mm-hmm. When I dump it back in the ocean, the water disperses, but it still has the memory of being that cup of water. You and I have to take our final break. Please stand by. Exxon Nation, Karen Fraser is our guest this hour. Her website is authorkarenfraser.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. And Exonation Karen Fraser is our special guest this hour. Her website is www.authorkarenfraser.com. Uh, Karen, before we went to the break, we were just starting to talk about consciousness, uh, the survival of consciousness after death. Yes. Okay, uh, can you give us some examples of that? Sure. Well, a, a ghost mm-hmm. would be um, a survival of consciousness after death because there is some semblance of that consciousness that has remained after the body is gone. So anything where consciousness remains after the body is gone is survival consciousness after death. So if a medium is communicating with people on the other side, um, across the veil, whatever they call it, right? right? That would be that consciousness surviving because some part of that person's consciousness is still communicating through this medium if the medium is genuinely having those communications. if you are reincarnated and you have memories of a past life, that mm-hmm. is possible evidence of survival of consciousness after death. Even um, near-death experiences where someone has actually physically died and then come back is an, is an example of, of conscious survival after death. Uh, okay, I'm trying to understand. Yo, all right, so if somebody has near-death experience and mm-hmm. they come back... But while they're dead, right, they have, right. they're having that experience. Okay, you I know, see, they, I see. They, and they have the, the stages. They float above their mm-hmm. body. They hear what the doctors are saying. Right. Um, all of those all of those things that, that Dr. Moody discussed and that Sam Parnia has worked on in his, his work with uh, near-death experiences as well with his mm-hmm. heart patients. Um, while they're dead, if they're having this experience, there's no brain cells firing for them to be having this experience if they're truly dead. And so it's that consciousness is having that experience. Based on our understanding of how death works at this point, but what happens five, six, seven years down the line and more discoveries are made and what we believe happens at the point of death now is totally disproven and the new way of thinking happens. How does this affect the the uh, survival of consciousness after life, the near-death, uh, you know, the out-of-body experiences and all the other topics that, yeah. that are that are so popular today? It's a great question, but I don't know the answer yeah. because, um, I mean, I would, frankly, mm-hmm. I, I think that everything that we're talking about has scientific explanations. I think most of it's going to be found mm-hmm. in consciousness and quantum research. Um and uh, I just, I, I think that those are, the science for that is all coming. I don't know, I, I mean, I hope it's in my lifetime. It may not be. But um, then we just shift how we think and understand things, and maybe we can 
then live as human beings in a different and possibly better, kinder way. But we haven't done that since the beginning of time. We certainly have not, have we? Yeah. But it's always an admirable goal. It it is, it is. And, um, you know, there are species in the animal kingdom that just cannot live together. There are fish that cannot live together. And I look at the big picture and saying, listen, Mother Nature is showing us that as members of this planet and the animal kingdom, we will never live in peace. Mm, Well, you know, uh, well, so first of all, Mm -hmm. when when we're talking about species being unable to live together, you know, we we have a food chain and um, species, certain species are always going to need to eat other species. And, you know, plants are a species, too, and they're a living thing, too. Yeah. And the bottom line is bodies need nourishment, whether it's plant or mm-hmm. animal. Yeah, but I'm not talking about um, eating each other. I'm talking about living together. Well, I mean, but but I think that when you're talking, I so I don't know. I, I Animal consciousness is something entirely different, and I can't, um, I can't really speak to it because, mm-hmm. you know, I think my dog understands what I tell her. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so, I agree. So I, I, so I know that there's some level of consciousness in mm-hmm. animals, but I think in humans, it's, it's a different level of consciousness. And um, I, I think that we can, but I'm also, you know, an incredible optimist and probably tend to be somewhat, um, I, I'm will, willfully naive in that I want to believe mm-hmm. that we can find our way as a species and be kinder to one another and our cohabitants on Earth and our planet and and everything else in the universe. Now, that does to say it's going to be easy, but I don't believe that, you know, somebody's going to snap their fingers or wave their magic wand and yep. we're going to be living in a utopian society because... It ain't going to happen. It's just, no, it's not going to happen. But for me, mm-hmm. I want to believe and I want to help other people to see that if they choose kindness and they choose love and they choose compassion and they choose to heal themselves, that they they can work more easily with others, even people who are damaged. Speaking about consciousness, you also write about dreams. What do we know about dreams? You know, we don't know nearly as much about dreams as we would like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with dreams, a lot of your dreams are, and usually just the ones you don't remember, are just processing. Your mind uses dreams to process the events of your day. However, there are other dreams that the ones that you wake up and you think, holy crap, what did I eat before I went to bed? Mm -hmm. Maybe no more pepperoni for me. Um, A lot of those dreams are symbolic. And if you look at the symbols, you can come up with pretty, pretty cogent arguments that these dreams are telling you something. And this is all based on things like Jungian dream interpretation and archetypes, yeah. and um, not, not necessarily so much Freudian. But So I have interpreted hundreds of dreams for people because people write into me, and I interpret dreams for them in my column. And um, usually they're pretty shocked at how right on those dreams are when I don't know anything about them because they write to me anonymously. Right. And all I'm doing is looking at the symbols and the context and and the overall theme of the dream and saying, look, this is probably what the dream is telling you about what's going on in, in their, your life. So where did you learn all of the symbols, and, and uh, where did you learn the ability to interpret dreams? Oh, self-taught. I uh, was fascinated by, by Jung, mm-hmm. 
and um, I was fascinated by dream interpretation. And I've just, I've talked to a lot of people. I did a lot of work. I started out many, many, many years ago, because I have doozy dreams. I just always have. And I started out many years ago just working with a dream dictionary and interpreting mine. Mm -hmm. And over the years, it became something that became second nature to me. And so soon my friends started asking me about it. Uh And so I've been interpreting dreams since I was in my 20s. I mean, I did my own in my teens. But if dreams are so individualized, reflecting the processes of, of a person, mm-hmm. what happened during the day. The symbol mm-hmm. of a horse in my dream may have a totally different meaning yeah. in your dream. So how do you justify taking these dreams and applying one central method of, of doing it to the, and uh, telling these people what their dreams are about? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, um, so, so when I so the dreams that we're talking about, the symbolic dreams, mm-hmm. uh, rely on several different kinds of symbolism, and they're very different than the processing dreams. The processing dreams you almost never remember; they're very unless you wake up in the middle of them. One, mm-hmm. they're very mundane. It's the strange dreams, and not so. Not every dream has meaning. Mm-hmm. I, it just doesn't. I, you know, if I dream that I'm sitting at my computer mm-hmm. typing all day. I, it probably doesn't mean anything other than that I sat at my computer typed that day, and I, my, my brain is sorting and processing those me- uh, memories. But um, Jung and also Edgar Casey and and several other people uh, in the area of dream interpretation believe that there's this universal symbolic language, and it comes from personal symbolism, tribal sim- symbolism, societal symbolism, and then overall symbolism. So we all, you and I may have very different symbols based on our different backgrounds. Like you live in Canada, I live in the United States, although I live very close to Canada. Um, and, and so you may interpret a maple leaf as something different than I interpret a maple leaf as, um, for instance. But then there are also these overarching themes. And so I have actually written a book because I would prefer people interpret their own dreams rather than asking me to do it. Because, um, I wouldn't have a very good column then, but because I think that, that personal symbolism does play a huge role in dreams. And so I actually wrote a book, it's called Dark of Night and the Light of Day, mm-hmm. and it actually walks people through this process of first looking at personal and tribal symbolism before they look at broader symbolism. But the symbols that we have in dreams that are universal are very similar to the symbols that psychic mediums say that they see a lot of times when they're communicating with the other side, too. Interesting. And, uh, Karen, I want to thank you so much for joining us uh, tonight here on the Exxon at Exxon Nation. If you'd like to get more information uh, from our guest or about our guest at this hour, Karen Fraser, her um, her website is www.authorkarenfraser.com. And I don't know how many times she said, Craig, that, uh, no, that's a good question. That means a guest needs a couple of seconds to formulate an answer because they weren't expecting that kind of question. Just imagine that. Asking a question that they're not ready for. Now, how do you interpret dreams for somebody else? Makes no sense. You know, but that's the entire New Age genre. Nothing in it makes sense except one thing. People write books. People make money. People do online sessions. People make money. 
People do psychic readings. You got it, ExoNation. People make money. New age equals money. For now, anyway. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying... Thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. 